May we have your attention, please? On average, there's a suicide on the rail network in Britain every 36 hours. That's over 240 people each year. While that might seem like a lot, it is sadly just 4-5% of the total for the UK. Those deaths bring tragedy and trauma to many more. Not just to the family and friends of those who've taken their own life, but for passengers and staff who may have witnessed the event, and for those who have to deal with the aftermath. I'm joined today by Samaritan's Training Officer for the Network Rail Partnership, Jason Alexandra, and by MTR Crossrail Duty Customer Experience Manager and Lifesaver Award recipient, Rizwan Javed. I'll be talking to them about why suicide prevention is relevant to the railway, what's being achieved by the rail industry's partnership with Samaritans, and how you, our listeners, can get involved and perhaps help save a life too. Jason and Rizwan, welcome to the RSSB podcast, and thank you for talking about this sensitive and yet tremendously important subject. I usually ask my guests to tell us how they came to their role on the railway, but today I'm going to ask you to tell us how you came to the place where helping to save lives became so important to you. Jason, first, please. Well, my background, I've always been in kind of a support and teaching role. Started off years back supporting children with learning difficulties, those with visual and hearing impairment, and also worked with people who are elderly, bereaved, or struggling to cope. And of course, Samaritans deals with a lot of people that are struggling to cope. And it was a kind of a natural move into an environment where I could bring all those skills in and start to train other people how to maybe support people who are struggling to cope and offer that listening ear, something that Samaritans has been doing now for years. And now Rizwan, please. So for me, from a very young age, I'd like to think I was a, I was a person who liked to help people make a difference in someone's life. I've been fortunate enough to work in various customer-facing roles where the job entails exceeding customer expectations, helping people. And then I fell into the railway profession, which is also a customer-focused environment. But I was quick to realize that there was also a safeguarding aspect to this role. So after having my first intervention and spending time with one individual who sadly wanted to end his life, I had time to go home and reflect upon the incident. And I think the whole incident and replaying it back and talking to my family about it, it just gave me incidents where I wanted to help each other, help people and make a difference in everyone's life. And I made a promise to myself at that time, as long as I was on the railway, I would always try my best to help and go the extra mile, even though it doesn't really in line with my job description, but make a difference in anyone's life that I was able to. And I think now going into the pandemic, we've all realized kind of how lonely and depressing it can be. So for everyone or anyone trying to make a difference in someone's life is a great thing. Thank you, Rizman. Now, Jason, if I can turn to you first. Samaritans has been around for as long as I can remember, offering support to people in crisis who may be considering suicide. Could you tell our audience about what Samaritans has been doing in the partnership with the rail industry to reduce the number of suicides on the railway? Yeah, so the partnership kicked off well over 10 years ago. And one of the reasons why it kicked off, suicides on the railways 
was increasing year on year on year. Although if you looked at the national average, a suicide nationally was, if not plateauing, slightly to fall. So a group got together and said, look, there's something we must be able to do about this. And so out of that came several things. There was training. So that's what I'm involved with. So that's managing suicidal contacts, which I'll talk about a little bit later. Lots of campaigns as well, just really getting people to talk. So one of those campaigns, A Small Talk Saves Lives, that was aimed at the general public, just to give them the confidence to start to approach and talk to people. And then we're looking at priority locations. There's some areas that seem to be more susceptible to people maybe looking to take their life. So looking at those locations, what can we do to make them safer? What safeguards we can put into place? And then just expanding on people's knowledge by giving them literature support, giving them an environment where they can talk about these challenges. And then the wider community. When you're tackling suicide, you need to look at how many other stakeholders you can draw in. It's not just, let's say, the railways, but you're also looking at the people in the wider community as well, who we can draw in. So we have lots of project officers that will work without the whole region and connecting other support groups together so we can together reduce the numbers of suicides. One of the things I'd like to expand on a little bit later would be the impact we've had. And I think just to mention that although there are suicides that still take place for every one that takes place, we prevent six others. In fact, last year alone, you and your colleagues made just over 2,200 life-saving interventions. And the British Transport Police record that, make a point that if you guys have not actually stepped forward and started that conversation, those people may well have not been in the position of actually recovering and on that road to recovery. Thank you, Jason. That sounds like some very successful work. And talking of success, having over 24,000 rail staff engaged with the Managing Suicidal Contacts Training Programme does sound like success. But for those like me who haven't taken part, could you describe the programme and what it aims to achieve? I think one of the key things is to give confidence and uh, change the culture so if you go back 10 years and you ask someone about suicide, most people would have the attitude, there's not much you can do about it. And almost from that, why bother? Whereas we know that any approach is better than none. And of those 2,200 life-saving interventions all started with a person making an approach and starting a conversation, some trained, some not trained. And what we've done, we've learned what a good intervention is. And we've got that from the information that has come from the rail industry, as well as the years of research that Samaritans have got. And so we put together a kind of a game plan in terms of how we can approach someone and save their life. So one of the first things we want to look at is signs. What are the things that might shout out to us that we actually need to make an approach? Before we make an approach, it's always better to let somebody else know what you're doing. You're going to feel anxious approaching someone that's suicidal, but you'll feel less anxious if you know that somebody else is knowing what you're doing and they're calling for help. They're calling the BTP, they're calling the signaller, calling control, putting the trains on caution. Then we talk about, as you approach, how you start that conversation. And we have a really powerful tool called the listening wheel. It's a really powerful tool to get people talking 
And we know if we can get that person talking, it gives relief to those suicidal thoughts and feelings. And I tell you what, it's far easier then to encourage that person away from a place of danger to a place of safety if they're no longer feeling suicidal. And then in that conversation, we're looking at ways how we can encourage that person from that place of danger to a place of safety. Now, a rail environment is quite a busy, noisy environment that is quite difficult to hold a conversation in. So maybe you can point to those barriers that was a bit noisy here. Should we go somewhere quieter where we can talk about it? Or like over the winter period now, it's really cold. And if they're out towards the end of a platform, should we go somewhere warmer where we can talk about it? And if you come across as genuine and wanting to know more, that person starts to share their story and gets a huge sense of relief. So that offer to that place of safety is really encouraging. And so they're encouraging to that place of safety. Once you get to that place of safety, that's where the conversation starts to change. You've saved their life for that moment, but the icing on the cake is referring them on to someone else that can help for the future. Now, the suicide prevention plan, peer plan, run by the British Transport Police is very effective. And that's why we always encourage people to contact the British Transport Police before they make that approach. And if we can connect them onto onward support like the suicide prevention plan, we will reduce the risk of them taking their life for the future. And that's a plan which just connects these people to support, might be family, doctors, community workers. It's a tailored plan. And Do you know, in the first year that that suicide prevention plan was run, just over 10 years ago, roughly when this partnership started, they had just over a thousand people that were put on that suicide prevention plan. Of those people, of those thousand people, only three have gone on to take their life by suicide and only one on the railways. So we know if we can make some form of support into the future, we will hugely reduce the risk of someone looking to take their life in the future. I'd like to turn to Rizwan now, as you've actually completed the Samaritan's training course. Since then, you've had more than one conversation with someone contemplating taking their own life. And for those actions, you've been nominated for and won a Lifesaver Award. Not everybody who's nominated for the Lifesaver Award has completed the Managing Suicidal Contacts training, but could you tell our listeners what it is about the training that made you more ready or how it helped you to intervene in situations where you see a person in distress? I think I was quite fortunate enough to be on the right side of 29 interventions now, and the Samaritans training has really helped me in building my confidence showing me what I should be looking out for. And there was various scenarios that we went through in the training that really, really helped me within my role in identifying vulnerable people or people in distress within my station environment. It really gave me all the confidence I needed. Like I said earlier, I'm in a customer service environment, but having the confidence to approach someone who may be in distress or contemplating ending their life is sometimes a difficult conversation to have And I think within that training, the most important or the thing I found very beneficial was the role play exercise at the end, which I was successful in completing the scenario at the end, which really helped me implement that in a live situation. Thank you very much for sharing that, Rizwan. Emotionally, practically and financially, no other organization is impacted as severely as the rail network by suicide. Practically, One incident alone may affect over 2,000 train services. 
Financially, these incidents cost Network Rail over £35 million a year in Schedule 8 payments, payments made because of delays. Emotional impact is more difficult to measure. Following a fatality, over 40 different professionals are involved, and the ripple effect of a suicide travelled through families, communities and colleagues. If we save just one person from attempting to take their life by suicide, the emotional impact we could save is huge. Rizwan, in the last year alone, you and your colleagues have made over 2,200 life-saving interventions. So, to finish off our conversation, would you be kind enough to tell us about just one of your stories? Sure. I think one of the closest interventions or stories that I share of my career to date is a young lady that entered the station while I was completing my security checks in the evening. I did notice her as she entered the station. She looked fairly emotional, distressed in the face, and maybe intoxicated. But she asked me when her next service to to wherever she was traveling to at the time. Because at the time, there was only maybe one service left at that time of night. So I directed her to the correct platform. After completing my security checks, station close down checks, I returned back to the station environment where I noticed the young lady was still present on the station. At a distance, I was dealing with something else at the time, but I noticed her from the corner of my eye. She was crying. She began to remove parts of her clothing. And for me, that was alarm bells ringing. So I had to quickly run over from what I was doing and build a conversation with the young lady and take her into a safe place After approaching her and starting a conversation, I realized her purpose for being on the station at that time. I managed to continue her talking. I believe I built a rapport with her, a level of trust, which she wasn't really welcoming in the the beginning. Eventually, I was able to take her to a safe place, speak to her about providing her with the correct help and calling British Transport Police. She was in a profession where... If involving the police, it could have reflected on a professional career badly. And she didn't really have much going right for her at that time during her life because it was the anniversary of her father's death. And also her mum was suffering from a disability and she was struggling to manage with it all alone. But after some conversation back and forth, I managed to convince her I was going to call the British Transport Police and they were going to help her. In the process, we also contacted her family members who were close by who turned up to the station. We came to an agreement in providing the young lady help in order to get back on her tracks. We also recommended Samaritans for her to speak to. Eventually, British Transport Police and her family took her away and I'm sure she was provided with the right help and needs in order to get her life back on track. But the young lady was fortunate enough to return back after a few weeks And she came over to the platform I was working at and she thanked me for that evening, that intervention of just speaking to her, giving her that time, which the support that was provided for her within that time got her back onto the track and she was getting support from a company and helping her mother. And also she started to make progression with a professional career. So I think this was really rewarding as sometimes you make an intervention and you never you never hear from the individual again because British Transport Police take over and the London Ambulance 
But on this instance, I was fortunate enough for the young lady to come back and share her story of getting back onto her feet. Thank you, Rizwan, for sharing that very personal and powerful story with us. And again, thank you to Jason for participating as well. And of course, I'd like to thank all our listeners for staying with us to the end. If you have any comments about this or any other of our podcasts or ideas for another episode, please let me know by emailing podcasts at rssb.co.uk. And don't forget to visit the blogs page on the RSSB website, where you'll find the show notes for every episode, which includes some very useful related resources links. Until the next time, thank you and goodbye. Thank you.